This episode is brought to you by Bus Vacation Rentals, a premier property management company in Houston and Galveston areas. Bus Vacation Rentals specializes in managing short-term rentals the right way. Give us a call today at 281-549-8432 to learn more or check out the website at www.buzzvacationrentals.com. Now back to the Real Estate Ballers show. Today, Adam and I are discussing ARV and ARV stand for after repair values. This is the value that most real estate investors use to determine what to offer. It is also a value that the lender uses to determine what to loan on. For you, it's the difference between getting a deal or losing the deal, making money or losing money. So join Adam and I as we discuss how we arrive at our ARVs when we look at property we buy. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by writing a review. Writing a review only takes 60 seconds, but it means a lot to us. And I'd like to read them out loud to the team. You can also share this episode with a friend. You are listening to The Real Estate Ballers Show. I'm your host, V. Lee. This is the show where I interview upcomers, doers, and ballers of the real estate investing world. I want to bring you real-life lessons and takeaways so that you can make smarter decisions about investing in real estate and accelerating your real estate businesses. The purpose is to help you to reach your financial freedom in real estate investing faster. Hey, what's up, Adam? V, so good to see you. It's been a while. It has been, hasn't it? Well, the topic that uh, Adam and I feel like we should discuss today is in this competitive changing market, we want to talk about how we come to a, a best guesstimate of what we think the property is worth fix up. In another word, what the ARV would be, right? Right. What's your thought on that? So I have a lot of thoughts on this. You could have a whole discussion with how you actually calculate ARV, but assuming that everyone's actually figured that out. Do you think we need to re-explain ARV one more time just so everyone can be clear on it? Sure. Go ahead. I'll let you do it. Okay. So it's after repair value. So the, a lot of the times what's happening is we're talking with investors who are buying properties that are distressed, that need work. And we're trying to determine the value of that property once it's been rehabilitated or rehabbed. And in a lot of markets, the way people do it is they look on a price per square foot basis because houses are different sizes. And they look at the number of beds, baths, the age of the house, variables as to whether there's a garage or not, acreage, if it's in a subdivision or not. The style of the house, is it a ranch or a two-story detached or a condo? And you're trying to find other properties that are similar, as similar as you can get, to that have already sold, that have been renovated, and then you'll assume that that's what yours would be, and you'll massage whatever the differences are to adjust based on whatever is closest. And so generally, appraisers will tell you that they look for things that have sold in a recent period of time, meaning usually last six months. If your property, the subject property is in a subdivision, then you'd want to find comps that are in a subdivision. 
If you're on a rural highway, then you'd want comps on a rural highway. So generally speaking, we try to compare apple to apple and orange to orange, right? Correct. So would you agree that ARV is probably the base of how we determine what to offer? Yes. So the the method that most people make when they offer is they figure out if they're going to flip the house, is they're going to look at what the value will be at the end, and they'll have a deduction for whatever it's going to cost to take it from its current state to where it is then. And then they'll start to do their analysis of all the costs to get it there, mm-hmm. and then what the required profit margin is. So you have to start start with the top line of what it will be worth in order to know where to start to go and do all your deductions. And then that's how you're going to determine what price you'd be willing to pay. And once again, ARV is not an exact science, right? There's no way of knowing exactly what the property would sell for until you sell it. So it's just a best educated guess, I would call it, value. Right. And sometimes people will present ARVs as an exact single number, but quite often you'll have people do it as a range. Okay. So in your business, uh, how do you determine an ARV? Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss another show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. So one of the things that's changed in this extreme seller's market climate mm-hmm. is that the pricing has changed so much in our market Yeah, in the last year and a half. It's gone up really dramatically. And so if you were using comps that are nine months old, that's too far because the market's changed too rapidly. And so we've really tightened up on the time we've gone back. Yeah. So we might only go back as far as 90 days as an okay. example. And we look at properties that are under contract now. So if there's a property that was listed and it went under contract in a day, we're going to make the assumption that it sold for at least its asking price. And so that will give you a good sense of a recency on it. And so we take a blend of what's under contract and what has sold recently when we're determining our ARV on our flips. Now, if it's a rental property, there's a whole new story. So okay. but we'll stay with the flips first. So for I'm I'm doing something similar. So whenever I look at comps, I always look at the you know past twelve months history, and then I'll take into considerations of how the value increases in the past you know ninety days, like you. Um, I also look at how many were sold in the past twelve months, how many actives are there are, how many pending contracts. And, you know, if there's only one active and five pendings and 20 sold, I know it's a hot neighborhood and that allowed me to be a little bit more aggressive on my ARV. If there are 10 active and only one pending, which probably doesn't really exist in today's market, you know, then I will adjust my ARV accordingly uh, based on what I'm seeing with the number of active pending and how the price is trend- trending, uh, like if they are increasing or if they are decreasing, you know, compared to uh, in today's pending price versus a year ago pending price. And, uh, and you know, I think today it doesn't happen too much anymore where you see a decrease, but several years ago in some subdivision, we would see like, you know, the price per square foot was sold for higher in the past than it was uh, in the current day. But we don't see that anymore today, do we? No. So what you're describing is uh, summarized with the term of an absorption rate. 
Mm-hmm. So how many houses are absorbed in the market? So in our market, on our MLS, uh, this past year, on average, V, there have been 4,000 houses sold in a month. So right now, active, available, we have roughly 2,000. So what that means is we only have 15 days supply of inventory. Wow. And so I don't know who makes these comments up, but they say that six months supply of inventory is a balanced market, which I don't know if that's true. But in our market, before COVID, our days on market was 45 days. We had 45 days supply of inventory. So now we're at 15 days supply of inventory. That's how you know that it's a seller's market. That's very good to know, Adam. I think one other thing, I think in Houston now we have about two and a half months of inventory. And in Austin, I believe that number is to be a week. Wow. Wow. And then if you're somebody who gets really nerdy about all this kind of stuff, you can do even deeper dives and look at different price points. And so in the first time homeowners price point, it's even crazier. We have about five days supply of inventory. Wow. That's very granular. Very granular. I was getting ready for our conversation today, so I was doing some of that work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but really, I think to make a good business sense of what you, you know, how to arrive at value, I've always looked at the sold and break them down in three category. I would have the as is category, and you can probably see them where they, you know, sell for the lowest price per square foot. Uh, in your comps and then you have the middle one where they kind of well kept kind of did something but they're not the you know the most recently updated and then you have the top of the market where uh, the property is totally renovated and so uh, when I look at the comps for a subject property to determine what the value is or what I'm going to sell this property for I have a sliding scale of if I'm going to sell it as is, this is my value. If I'm going to sell it with some rehab, this is my value. And if I'm going to, you know, totally renovate it and bring it to the top of the market, then I will price my property in that price point. Do you do something similar? Yes, we do something very similar. And a lot of that has to do with, we do that in part just to figure out what kind of materials we're going to be buying. Yeah. So we want to do that early on in the process. Okay. Is there anything else we need to cover on ARV? Yes, there are things we need to cover on ARV. (laughs) Uh, One of the things is you want to be thoughtful about how your end buyer is going to get financed. So you can have an ARV that uh, is great for a cash buyer, but if your ARV is so high that you don't know if it's going to appraise, those can be some issues that you run into. So especially in military markets where everyone's doing a VA loan, you want to be sensitive to that part. Uh, The second part about the ARV I would say that people want to think about is if it's a rental property, Mm -hmm. you want to be thinking about the from a rental standpoint on it. And then the third point, uh, when people are trying to figure out what to pay to buy a property and they're looking for comp, sometimes you can't find a comp of an ARV because nobody has fixed the house up. Don't be shy about looking for comps for as-is properties and find out what everybody's already paying for that property that's similar to yours. Those are some really good points, Adam. We talk about ARV in a typical neighborhood, right? But we haven't talked about maybe ARV in a rural area where, like you said, there's no comps or if it's on acreage. How do you go about estimating the ARV there? Right. So generally in our market, 
properties that are rural, they don't move around in price as much mm-hmm. as properties that are in urban settings. And so if we're having difficult time finding properties, we'll go back further in time. And yeah. we may see what's happened in the last two years yeah. as an example, as a starting point. That's one tip. The second tip is if it's on the main highway, instead of looking at a radius for geography, like we would in a subdivision, yeah. we'll run up and down that highway for a couple of miles either way. And then the third tip that I have is if you're really having a hard time finding properties that are similar to yours because yours is on the main highway, you can take a look at what's sold and do a little math and take a look at the sales price divided by the tax value. And whatever that ratio is, just apply that same ratio to your property and that should give you a ballpark. Say that again. So So if let's say you're on a main road and you've got a property that's your only comp in a subdivision. If that property in the subdivision sold for 50% more than its tax value, I might just use a 50% multiplier above my tax value for my property. That's awesome. Okay, let's move on to things to watch for when you do ARV. I say my top of the list is when you look at a subdivision that have waterfront and non-waterfront. So back to what we said earlier, apple to apple. So you got to make sure you comp the one that are not waterfront if your property is not waterfront. And if your property is waterfront, you want to use the waterfront comps so that you don't price yourself out of the uh, the, the deal. So what are your things to watch for? Uh, that's a good one. We're inland, so I don't have to really worry about any waterfront at all. The only waterfront would be if somebody's had their house flooded. Then we'd be careful. About that. <laughs> that's a good waterfront. <laughs> yeah, right. Sometimes we forget to look at the shape of a house. And so a house with a basement, the square footage in a basement is different valuation than the valuation of square footage on a main level. Um, If I've got a ranch, I really like to match it up to a ranch versus a split level. As an example, garage, no garage. those Those are a couple of things. We don't have a lot that are huge acreage. And we do have a lot of stuff that's on well and septic. Mm -hmm. So that comes up quite a bit, but I really want the shape and shape and size of the house to be the same. Interesting. You talk about shape. I actually bought a house that has a pentagon, the five angle shape. That's a pentagon, isn't it? Yeah. That's weird. That is weird. And I will tell you that is on my, uh, the one property that I did not make money on. Uh, Maybe you needed to buy an octagon or something like that instead. Maybe I should have. Right. Uh, it's a beautiful property when you look at it from the land because it sat on five acres. But when you go in the house, it's just so weirdly shaped that it took forever to sell. And so my lender ended up making a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> my other things to watch for is a house on busy street. So when I calm house on busy street, I make sure I use calm on busy street. Did you agree? Yes. And so that, uh, you'll, people will hear a phrase of a double yellow. Yeah. And that's code for a busy street because a busy street will have a double yellow line. And usually I'll give about a 15% discount factor if the subject's on a busy and the comp is on in a subdivision. Well, the more expensive the house is, the bigger discount you need to give for busy street, in my opinion. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you want more, join our Facebook group, RE Ballers, for further discussions of this episode. Wherever you are listening to your podcast, please subscribe to the Real Estate Ballers so you never miss another show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we appreciate a five-star rating, a written review, or if you simply share it with a friend. 